You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. You wouldn't believe it, it's that time of the week. George Danicki and Josh Parrish in the FNR studios at Docklands. And we have a special guest right off the bat. She's a Melbourne City girl. Um, lo and behold, she's actually a Sydney person who has seen the light, like somebody else I know, and came down under. She came south, crossed the border to play for Melbourne City, and we are thrilled to bits to have her in the studio. Uh, Tori Tumith, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, you've been just, you know, just bubbling away at Melbourne City, getting a little bit more confident, a little bit more comfortable, and getting aware of how Rado Vitasic, the coach, wants you girls to play. Um, you're feeling now after a year and a bit that you've got the system sorted? Yeah, I mean, Rado does have a very specific game plan and he likes to stick to that game plan and it's taken a, a bit of time, a new formation that I've learnt being down here, but I'm starting to feel really confident in the team and knowing my place in the team and knowing the way that we like to play and I think that's helped me on the field a lot over the past two years. Confidence is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And when you're confident, you're composed, you're better on the ball um, and your game just goes to a, a new level. Tori, tell us about this system that City play and, and how you have Without to drill into it. giving too much away, of course. No, of course. This is know. a victory man over here. Just go <laughs> easy on him, Tori. <laughs> but it's very structured. I, I see the team is so well organised. It seems like you, you've got a really definite game plan going into every fixture. Every player seems to know exactly where they need to be now. Uh, tell us about the process of, uh, I guess, learning that, that shape. Um, yeah, we do have a game plan that we really like to stick to. Um, it's... Um, it's a really ball-playing system. So we like, you know, keeping possession and being possession-based. And then when we don't have the ball, it's a really aggressive pressing um, structure and everyone has their roles. And, um, yeah, we just like to stick to that as much as we can. And we know change um, games do change, but we, we ultimately only have one plan and we stick to that plan and That's- make the illusion um, adjust to us. Uh, I was going to say the City Group, um, Manchester City, uh, which has had a, a phenomenal run of form over the last half a dozen years uh, in the English Premier League. They're still working to see if they can bring home a European uh, Championship mm-hmm. medal, but um, they play a, the uh, the ultimate system, don't they? When yeah. when when Guardiola uh, says we haven't got the ball, we've got to get the ball back. Mm. So that's Rado's plan, essentially, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. I think um, most of the City group, I know we follow the same kind of system as our men's team and um, stuff like that. We have the same principles as all of the City group. Uh, who are the characters in the team that you love to play with? Um, I guess we have we have a lot of characters. We have a lot of different characters. We have people who are like Bubs who are so – she's so experienced and she'll, she'll do anything for City, like she'll do anything for the team. <laughs> Um, she's a then, char- she's a character and a star, isn't she? She really is, and she's just someone that we all look up to. And I guess she's like she's kind of like the rock of the team. But then we also have so many young girls who are just um, you know trying week in week out to be their best. And like they, Holly's just being called up for the Matildas, and you can see like she's just worked so hard and it's paying off. So we have like a lot of young girls who are who are there just trying to improve each week. And I think we have a really good balance between like the older girls, like Emma Checker. Um, Bubs, we have that experience. What about Stoddy? What about Stoddy? Oh, Stoddy's in a, Stoddy's in a different category of her own. Are we talking like, super starlet? <laughs> she is, but she's also a character. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ha- hasn't her journey given you guys a lot of inspiration? Yeah, she's really inspirational. Like you can see how much she's been through and, she, you know, she'll never complain. She'll never – she's really someone that we look up to in the team and she's just all about hard work. So this season, obviously, the aspiration is the title, right? I mean, you know, last season was a bit different with a lot of new players coming in, big turnover. But you're in second place heading into a big crunch match between uh, yourselves and, and the other outstanding team this season, Sydney FC, which you know probably would determine who finishes on top of the ladder. Are the, the club and the, the group talking in terms of those definite goals or is it still, you know, game by game? Um. 
we definitely look game by game. We go into each game, you know, resetting, restarting and focusing on that game. We haven't really looked too much into the future, into finals or anything. They We're just still trying to correct our game plan and making sure we, we go at every game as a new game and a new opponent. Uh, Tori Tumuth is our special guest on FNR's State of Our Football Nation. Uh, Tori, last year, were you still at Bandura? Did you arrive and play at Bandura? And what's it been like watching that whole beautiful centre sort of decommissioned and move, of course, to Casey Fields? Yeah, don't get me wrong. Bandura was like also an excellent facility, but what's happening at Casey is um, really exciting. I think we've got a new home there and you can tell the club's gone above and beyond to, you know, get us the great facilities and it's really exciting. We're getting our own field being um, built, our own little stadium and stuff for the years coming. So, What's happening at Casey is really exciting. Now, you're a Sydney girl. What brought you down under? What was it that convinced you that, hey, this may well be my kind of town? Um, well, I've always been from Sydney, but I, I thought when Rado called me and said, you know, like, I want you in my team, um, this is our plans, this is our aspirations, I was, like, really excited for a new start um, to just kind of show what I got and to learn a lot of new things and also, like, the the roster they had before that transition period was amazing and what he's done with the team and what City has done for the team. Like, it's known as the most professional club in Australia. Like, I I would have been silly to turn it down. Uh, what, did, what did mum and dad think when, they, when you said to them, uh, uh, guys, I, I'm off to Melbourne? <laughs> yeah, that, that really shocked, I guess. Like, that came out of nowhere and I've always been really close to, with my family, kind of like not leaving their side and then I probably, they were, they were really shocked and they're like, oh, I mean, I guess if that's what you want to do. <laughs> well, I suppose that would have been even more difficult uh, having we've been through this COVID pandemic and a lot of the opportunities to come backwards and forwards have been compromised because the borders have been closed. Have, have mum and dad actually seen you play in Melbourne live? Or have they been um, been denied that opportunity? Um, so they had planned a few trips and they've all been cancelled because of whether having to quarantine when they get back or borders being closed. But I was actually lucky enough that they um, surprised me at the in the last game of last season to um, fly down from the last game of the season and from our presentation. But a lot of the opportunities that I've had to either like for them to fly down or in my two days off to fly back to Sydney has been cancelled because of COVID, which is hard. I mean, I, they didn't get to see my de- debut live and I haven't had Christmas for two years with my family, but I guess, like, that's a sacrifice you make. Yeah. Like, well, uh, when, when did you find out they actually were going to surprise you and arrived in Melbourne? Oh, Before the game like, or after the game? I was um, just before kickoff. I was on the field <laughs> and I saw my my brother wait and my mum waving from the um, corner of the field. <laughs> so so you tweaked when they started waving. You went, what? Yeah, I was so surprised. And um, they weren't too happy with me because the last game of the um, the last game of the season was down in Dandenong. And you can imagine the price of an Uber from the airport. Oh. Dandenong, so <laughs> <laughs> they oh. thought they'd do something good for oh, me. Oh, gee. Unbelievable. Uh, let's go back through your career a little bit and, and your progression through the juniors and, and the NPL New South Wales ranks. You are at Arpia for a little while, but your involvement at uh, that all-conquering Sydney University team uh, has got to go down as, as one of your biggest career influences to date, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think that has that team has – playing in that team has to be one of the most um, – enjoyable environments I've been in in that Sydney Uni team and Alex had a really um, professional environment there and I really respect Alex and all the players that I've got to play with at Sydney Uni I think they helped me be where I was and I was brought into like the senior environment quite young and I think that that helped me learn and progress from being a player from a child from institute to you know a senior women's player. That's Alex Aparkas you're talking about, right? Who's he's got his uh, chance in the big leagues now with with Perth Glory. It must be uh, you must be kind of proud to see your your coach ascend to the the highest levels at the same time as you have. Yeah, it was um, kind of funny because uh, a month he was actually he's actually quite um, he's friendly with Rado, and um, he actually was the one that suggested 
to Rado to um, have a look at some clips and stuff and watch me play. And then a month later, he got his own role in. <laughs> good things come to good people. Yeah. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, he must be sick he missed out on you, though. <laughs> yeah. He always jokes about it, but... <laughs> You're staying with us. Um, uh, uh, tell me something. Um, have you got any aspirations to uh, to play at a higher level of football? Um, I do. I do um, want to play overseas, of course, one day and play for the Matildas. But at the moment, I'm really happy with where I am. I feel like I still have so much to learn. And like I feel like this year I've just started to become you know, really comfortable in the W League. And um, I'm still just, I'm happy with where I am at the moment. And, you know, with COVID, it makes it a bit, a bit like a bit more reluctant to go overseas at the moment and stuff. But I'm just happy where I am and trying to learn as much as I can under Rado and at Melbourne City. Well, you're playing alongside some pretty talented defenders, you know, with the likes of Emma Cech, you mentioned earlier, Winnie Heatley, another really promising young player who's very comfortable on the ball. What, what have you picked up playing alongside you know, that group uh, and that, that defensive unit with, with Bubs behind you? Yeah, I, f- I feel really comfortable and composed on the pitch when you're playing next to, like, really talented players and it gives you a little bit more freedom in a way to express yourself because, you know, like, you have two really talented um, players and, I mean, playing five um, with wing backs as well gives you that little bit extra cover so you can kind of drive with the ball. You can do a little bit more... Mm. Um, on the ball, but also you feel a bit more um, protected and more as a unit without the ball. Junior, so, yeah. Mat- Junior Matilda, captain. You, you've 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 uh, played with some very good young players. Um, I bet you must be there. Must be a part of you itching. There's a women's World Cup coming, and I, yeah. I can't believe you don't want to put your best foot forward. No pressure, <laughs> but I I, be- I believe you. That's inside you, deep inside. If I ask mum and dad. Um, what is Tori thinking? They'd say she's going to go for it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's just it's putting your best foot forward at training every day and um, performing on the week and then just hoping someone sees you, I guess, and all you can do is really play your best football. Yeah, let me tell you, they are watching. They are watching. They And it's, and it's something that we say to people time and time again, uh, Josh and I have, uh, you know, have our favourites. Uh, we, we've watched some terrific young uh, players come through the ranks. One that Josh has had some uh, opportunity to work with, Alex Chidiak. Now, I remember Alex when she arrived at, at City as a really young girl. She must have been 15 mm. from Adelaide. And I've, I got enormous joy watching her fitting into the, the, the system and, ex, you know, expressing her talent. And then, of course, she went overseas and I think she's had some bad luck with injuries, and we know that. But she's back, and she's playing that terrifically creative, balanced football that I think she has in her. Um, so it must be exciting from your perspective to see the, the, these fabulously talented girls on the periphery that could be the next tier, next tier of Matildas. Yeah, I mean, you just never know, I guess. Um, Holly being brought into the Matildas now, mm. and she's, you just, I guess you just never know. Well, actually, you know, uh, in this business, uh, every time you, you step out, you're on show. You can't hide. And yeah. Liberty, the Liberty League now is, you know, taking the pictures into all manner of new markets. America now, of course, is gearing itself up for a World Cup after, you know, Australia and New Zealand do it. And the next World Cup after Qatar will be um, America, Mexico and Canada. That's going to be huge. So you can imagine the call for talented footballers over the next uh, two, three, four years. I want to ask you, Tori, about this big game that's coming up this weekend against Sydney FC, who've uh, who've set the benchmark this season. Not too much between the two teams on the table, though, when you take into account that that game in hand that, that City have. What's the preparation like for this one? Because... Uh, it's always exciting when you see the best teams in this competition come up against each other and uh, you must have learned a bit from from last time out. Yeah, I mean, we weren't too happy with our performance last time around and we knew there was a lot of things that that didn't go to plan and that um, lots of things we weren't so happy with. But this time around, I mean, I feel like we're coming to the game more prepared. We'll know know what the quality of football that Sydney play and... 
they're a great team, like, don't get me wrong. But I feel like if we play our best football, we can definitely compete. We can, we can, um, it'll be a really good match. So we just need to stick to our game plan and go out there, do everything that we've trained for. We've, we've, we've prepared like any other match because we know exactly what we want to do and we want to do that every single game. So we'll just see. Hopefully we can produce that brand on the weekend. Uh, just going to say, if I can take you way, way back, who were your heroes in the in those early days of you playing the game? Um, I'm not too sure. Um, when I was young, my old brother played NPO and I'd go... Um, you wanted to play with him. <laughs> yeah. So basically I started playing football because um, I went down to the local park and my brother was actually the one meant to play. And um, he was too he was too young to sign up for a team, so then I said, "Oh, I'm old enough for me." And then I started playing with the boys then, and um, I always wanted to be like my older brother because he was playing week in week out and stuff like that. Went through Project Twenty Two and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I didn't has I didn't really have a hero. Like, of course, I had the big ones like you know Ronaldo, Messi, and stuff like that. But other than that, just yeah, watching my brother week in, week out. You know, when uh, 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 Louise Taffer and I used to go to the um, Matildas games uh, over the last couple of years when mm. she was working with us at FNR, and interestingly, I couldn't believe how many young boys were at the game and celebrating and supporting the Matildas. Mm. So it seems to me, just as you wanted to play um, with with the uh, the boys growing up and your heroes were the Messi's, were the Ronaldo's and so on. It seems to me that it's interchangeable. This young generation of football fans sees football stars, male or female, and they don't have a problem. They'll just get get right behind them. And if they like what what they're seeing and how they play, they back them. Do you get that 100%. feeling? Do you get that feeling? Yeah, like the recognition that Sam Kerr has got recently from, you know, males, females, Everyone in Australia has been, like, the support that she's received has been massive. Like, everyone knows who Sam Kerr is, whether you're female, whether you're male, whether you play soccer or whether you don't. Like, I think that's what's great about the growing game for females in football. I wanted to come back to the sibling dynamic because uh, <laughs> we see so many uh, great sports By the way, I should, add, I should add he's a re- referee and he's other guys, yeah? <laughs> so he's probably, he's probably going to find out a bit more about, you know... How- <laughs> How, how the two energies sort of come together. Go on. Well, I, I just, it strikes me how many times we interview players and it, there's often a sort of friendly, competitive sibling rivalry at play uh, in their, their development oh, and so sorry. forth. I think, it, I think it, it sort of stokes the kind of competitive tension and not wanting to lose that you kind of <laughs> need when you're a professional athlete when you, when you grow up with a sibling, especially if they, they play the same sport that you do. Yeah, well, um, growing up, me and my older brother, we used to um, play like one-on-ones in the kitchen and like in the kitchen. But um, he actually has given up. But I have a really talented younger brother who's um, on the verge of playing for the NRL. So I guess from that perspective, the fact that he plays a different sport is a bit helpful because there's no competition there. <laughs> <laughs> who's he? Get, who's he likely to play for? Um, he's contracted with the West Tigers. He's um, he's got a scholarship. And what position are we talking about? Um, he's a forward. He's a big boy. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. We'll stay right away from the the, the big forwards. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Uh, old, go- old, go- old goalkeepers and uh, defender or, or striker? Oh, I played everywhere, George, played, wherever, played, wherever they needed me. Wherever You know, we had him in a, a celebrity game a couple of years ago and he did his knee. <laughs> I don't think it was a celebrity game, George. Talk about, <laughs> talk about sympathy vote. I mean, I can't believe it. We had him in a brace. How long were you in that brace for? Uh, I, was, I was walking with a stick for about three months. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I, why, really, I really that, milked that's it. Why we have a standing desk in the studio in Docklands because <laughs> you had to stand up like this. It was amazing stuff. But we digress, Tori. It's, it's been terrific finding out more about you. We're talking to Tori Tumuth, who's a Melbourne City uh, defender. Uh, she's been part of the squad the last two years under Rado Vitisic. Uh, last year, the results, not so much because of what uh, Josh talked about. There was an enormous um, change of mm. personnel. And that takes time, as you as you touched on earlier. Uh, your the the thing that's come through here. Now you're starting to really feel like you're part of that outfit, uh, which a year and a half ago wouldn't have been the case. Correct? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, 
last year I was going from making my de- my making my debut and making my starting debut at the same time. And I know we just had a completely new roster and it's hard. You need to get used to the team that you're working with and especially with the game plan that we have and the really specifics that Rado lacks. Like that takes time and it does. It does um, take a while for the team to gel. Speaking of the, the chemistry, I mean, we talked about the back line before, but also the, the way that front three is working together this season has really intrigued me, both on and off the ball. I mean, they work mm. pretty hard as the, as the first line of defense uh, with the press that you mentioned earlier, but that also there yeah. seems to be a nice, a nice blend of, of attributes and talents in that, in that forward line. You know, you've got Rihanna Politsina, who's so, so good on the ball in terms of her set pieces and the weight she puts on passes and Holly McNamara is just grease lightning. And then Hannah Wilkinson, I mean, you get it on her head or anywhere in the six yard <laughs> box and it's a goal. So you've kind of got the the perfect formula, the speed, the skill, the physicality. Yeah, we do. And I think that's what's been really successful for us. Um, we've been able to score those goals because we have that great balance and they balance each other out perfectly. And they have we have such a great dynamic off the field and you can see that translates on the field. What, what is the, the group like in terms of like socially? How much do you actually hang out with each other off the field or do you, do you get sick of the sight of each other after a while? <laughs> question. Um, so we have we have a, um, two share houses on the same block of land and we have 11 girls living here. So Oh, my goodness. That must be chaos. <laughs> yeah. um, we, spend, we spend pretty much the whole time we're here together and I think that what's, that's what makes us so close and like, we're always with each other, whether it's at training or at home. Like, so is there a pecking order or a roster for the bathroom and, uh, and for the, the kitchen and, and the dishes? Um, we, we luckily we have our own en suites. We have our own fridges. We have our own everything. So we're not we're not really sharing. But I guess like dinner time is where it becomes a bit chaotic. <laughs> we're all in the kitchen together. But yeah, we just have such a great relationship off the field, and that really helps you play good football. Well, we'll see the team chemistry in action this weekend. Big game. Tori Tumith, thank you so much for joining us here on FNR and we wish you the best of luck coming up against Sydney FC. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, guys. See you, Tori. All the best. Yeah, thank you. We'll go to a break. And, yeah, we'll take uh, we've a got break. More coming up on the other side, including the establishment of an Australian football museum. That's something that is we'll something be discussing to to. with Jack Zervos later on in the program. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Uh, Josh Parrish uh, running the controls in the Dockland studio. George Danikian right next to him. Uh, we've had an opportunity to catch up with a young starlet, someone who's doing a terrific job uh, making a career of playing uh, in the uh, A-League women's for Melbourne City, Tori Tumith. She was great. She was good value, wasn't she? Yeah, insight uh, gave, us, gave us a sense of the challenges, especially through COVID, and how difficult it was and how the challenges remain. Mum and dad and the rest of the family are in Sydney. Uh, every time they want to book, the borders were closed. So the last two years have been confronting. Well, it's been confronting for everybody. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. Um, there wouldn't be an Australian who'd be sitting here going, oh, yeah, it's been great. Um, but, but in terms of professional football when you leave one state and you have to start something brand new it's always great to know that the nest that group that wonderful new environment that you have to work in is a really supportive one and we're finding out that just how supportive it's been they that they have their own en suites so there's no there's no challenge that you don't have to win you know the the uh, the roster each day to to feel like uh, you know your life's okay yes and uh you know, they uh, spend almost every uh, waking moment together, it seems, those, yeah. those girls. Which is, why which is why you see that wonderful unity, and they all seem to know what the other one's thinking, <laughs> which, which Pep Guardiola has always said, I don't want my players to think, and people go, how is that possible? He wants them to react, yeah? Instinctively, they know, they've been practicing, it's almost, it's almost ingrained. You run, you see the ball come at you in a particular fashion, and you know what you have to do. And I get it. A lot of people go, it's not possible, but it is possible. Mm. At that level, when you're doing it so regularly and you know these people and you can see there's going to be a back pass, there's going to be a back heel, there's going to be a little flick with the outside of the boot, there's, you want it on my head, I'm going to make that late entry into the box. 
You know, and at Chelsea, you would see Frank Lampard. You just watch from about 40 yards out where he would run. And you knew where Drogba would be and, and how he would draw the defence mm. or the defenders to open up a spot for the late arriving Frank Lampard. I hated it because I'm a Tottenham man. And, and this year has been an uncomfortable one watching Chelsea uh, keep beating us. Uh, and, it, and it's been a combination of our mistakes, which makes it worse. Mm. You, the last thing anybody wants is to be beaten on your mistakes. You don't mind being outplayed. You put your hand up and you say, we've done our best, nothing more we can do. But to actually give them two goals or three goals and to do it <laughs> with great regularity, it's, it's mind-numbingly tough for a fan. Mm. I, I've been uh, an administrator. I've been a president of a football club. I've been a f- great fan all my life. And I've been an ambassador. And I, I know how tough it is to sit in that seat and ride the emotions. And let me tell you, Sometimes it's unbearable, but it's like being a news anchor. You, you know, underneath the table, you are you're about to kick you know, the desk to pieces, but above it, you're at. It's all calm. You know, it's like being in the studio. No problems here, but let me just kick that little board underneath there. I think we had some Real Madrid fans putting on a, a brave face yesterday after killing oh, Mbappe. Ooh. Did a number on them in the last minute. Well, Messi gave them a chance, didn't he? Mm. Yes, he did. His record from penalties is so average. I'll, I, I love it. I love it when fans say to me... And I say average in the literal sense because okay. it is about average for okay. a penalty taker, 77% or okay. something. All right. But for Messi, okay. aver- me, average yeah, is terrible. Yeah, but let me ask you something. And, and I know this for, for a fact because I remember... Uh, sitting down at length and talking to Pelé, and you and I have t- touched on this before, and Pelé said to me, of his thousand goals, the hardest one he ever scored was his thousand. Was the one everyone expected and, him to and score. And it was a penalty. Mm. And he said to me, my legs were like jelly. Now, if one of the greatest... Jelly? Yeah, jelly. <laughs> Rename <laughs> Exactly. Um, if, if one of the greatest players in the world tells you, has the courage to tell you, that he was the last person to know he was going to score. And it was a penalty, for goodness sake, in front of a couple of hundred thousand at Maracanã. Um, what does it tell you for the average footballer? Mm. If the greatest feel it because of the... Ex- Look, I'm t- I put it to you that that's why we have fandom. That's why we have fans. That's why we have great stadiums that are a fortress, yeah. Fans do affect players. And PSG, I, I think, underrated in terms of the intimidatory atmosphere. Did we, speak to, we spoke to someone the other day and they said, oh, it was David Williams. And yes. David said playing in India in the Indian Premier League um, when the opening season was fantastic, playing to mm. 50,000, 25,000, week in, week out. And he said, you, you felt a foot taller, mm. a yard faster. No, you weren't, but, but that's how it seemed. Yeah. And that must be a wonderful, wonderful uh, a bit of adrenaline when you're just feeling, uh, you know. You know what my theory is on, the, on the messy penalty complex? Go on, all right. I, I think he is, and to a greater extent than, than most footballers, an instinctive player. Mm. He doesn't really think about what he's doing. He just does it. And then when everything slows down and he has to put on the ball on the spot from 12 yards... <laughs> He suddenly becomes mortal again and starts thinking about where he's going to put the ball. If you move the ball back ten meters and put a wall in front of him, he'd probably have about the same percentage. Just, you know, he's like if he can. I think he gets in his own head when it comes to the penalties in a way that during open play he just shakes off any mistake he makes. Josh, think about this. Think of all the great sports mm. and think of all the great players and think of. How many of them have been or have beaten themselves mentally? Mm. Whether it's cricket, we've seen some of the greatest batsmen of. I mean, I remember uh, when Greg Chappell was going through this wonderful period where every time he'd go out, it was a century, or if it wasn't that, it was close to a 70. Uh, and then he went through this period where he had six ducks in a row. <laughs> and what makes it even more galling is the newspaper of the day, I think it was the Daily Telegraph in Sydney, ran these series of cartoons where he's leaving, uh, there's been a wicket fall and Greg Chappell is walking out to the ground and the phone rings in the dressing room and the guy picks up the phone and says, yes, uh, 
uh, Trev, uh, Greg Chappell, please. He says, yeah, he'll be just a moment. Yeah, he's going out to bat. He'll be with you in just a moment. So they're absolutely loving the fact that one of the greatest batsmen in Australian cricket history uh, was going through an absolute uh, um, twilight zone. Mm. Every time he'd go out, he may as well just present the bat and go, come on, hit the edge because I'm out of here. <laughs> so it can happen to the greatest of any sport. Well, he had Kylian Mbappe to bail him out at the end of the game. Uh, with now, there's a young man with an ego, healthy ego. Oh, he is a born media performer. Oh. My goodness. Like, I, I think maybe it's something to do with players of today growing up with a camera in their face all the time. But Kylian Mbappe is so self-aware every time he goes in for an interview. And you think a lot of players struggle to explain what they were doing in a certain moment. But... Mbappe was able to take a, the reporters in the mix zone through every step of his decision making in that, you know, that two or three seconds where he, he shaped up and he split the gap past Eddie Militao and uh, uh, Lucas Vasquez, and he knew that he was going to be too quick for them, so he he could get in between them, and he knew that they'd just given away a penalty in the same spot, so they weren't going to tackle him because they were afraid of giving away another one on the same player. Um, so he he was comp- he was computing all that in the moment, or so he said afterwards. Mm. And I mean, I think that will go down when his career is is in the books as one of his iconic goals because of the opponent, because of the circumstances with the transfer speculation to Real Madrid, because it seemed like an audition for the club that he was about to move to, and because it of course was a spectacular last minute winner, even if the game itself as a whole was yeah. not was not a classic. Was meh. Was meh. But, uh, you know, you touch on something very interesting. Um, Simon Hill alluded to it. He said, if we have to live with VAR, wouldn't it be great if the referees and the linesmen and the VAR operator explain themselves via audio, just as we saw mm. uh, Jared Gillett uh, a couple of years ago when he was before he left and went yes. to play in the EPL or uh, referee in the a EPL. special they released He had a special with fact, Fox yeah. and Fox uh, showed us the decision-making process, uh, you know, he was making with not only the linesman to validate that it wasn't offside and this, that was right, but the VAR operator, what did you see and how did you see it? And from my position, it was most illuminating. I'm thinking that if we're going to go down that pathway, especially for these grand games where the, where the, the cost is huge and the stakes are even higher and the history is about to be written – wouldn't it be better if we all knew, especially everyone in the grandstand, everyone in the terraces knew over the loudspeaker, here we are, just as the Americans in the um, NFL Super uh, Super Bowl, uh, you know, the, the, the umpires or the uh, holding referees. Holding penalty. Yeah, 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 holding Number penalty. Number 34, yeah, exactly. unnecessary roughness. We, exactly. Yeah, we nail yards, you, mate. Yeah. We nail you. Now, have we reached that stage now where, where we almost have to enter that realm? Well, I mean, are you suggesting that it's it's live during the broadcast, George? Because that's been a big yes. no-no from FIFA. Or should we have, you know, Kylian Mbappe file through okay. and explain how he scored his winning goal and then the referees follow next and explain you, how they gave the penalty? You're a referee. You're a commentator. What's the current status with FIFA doing replays at live internationals? Is that is that a no-no or is it is it now... Allowed to be run. Well, the the replays are fine. The, the VIR is approved everywhere, pretty okay. much. But uh, depending 2000 on the- Olympics, mm. Australia, Italy, MCG, Viduka, the box and dice, the whole box. We, I was part of the MCG commentary team. We have run um, uh, a replay to show it was a legitimate Australian goal mm. against Italy, and FIFA immediately got on the blower and said one more replay and the game goes to black. So so that's the level of some of the intimidation that you have to live and work with. So even as – well, that's 2000. So that's 20-odd years ago, 22 years ago. Here we are. If we're starting to think that way, maybe the time has come. Do it. Mm. Yeah, it's like we talk about Paramount and this new streaming service. I I think the product is great. What they've got to do is realise that the Paramount app – is inept, mm. uh, poorly designed, and is seriously on the nose. And we need Paramount to understand it. We need 10 to, to grasp it and give it a kick up the proverbial. And 
it needs to match the quality of the games and the, the action. It's interesting you mention that, George, because we've, I've had the explanation. Optus went through it. I've, yes, they of did. Terror. But, they, but they were building something from scratch. Correct. And Paramount have chosen to do the same when they didn't need to. And this is because paying the penalty. This is because they don't want people using their VPN and getting on to access all the other stuff in the other. This is my theory. Geo, be, geo positioning. Yeah, mm. they, they don't want people getting around the geo blocking. So, you so know. that's that's why. And so to explain this to people who aren't familiar, so with that's it, your credit card there, the one you use for the Amazon in <laughs> no, America. No, no. Uh, the so Netflix, for example, yes. same infrastructure across the world. Yes, it's just geo blocked. Correct. But so they have different rights in different territories, and they just geoblock the content. And if people use VPNs to get around it, it's none of their business, right? Yeah, we've got fifty-five million as it is. Yeah. So what's what's a million here? Exactly, and <laughs> you know, and people are still paying for Netflix if they're doing that. Hey, I think we need to speak to Ten, and we need to speak to Paramount, and maybe we can get them on in the next week or they, two. They, Paramount put on some of the best. If you watch some of the, the footage from, are great. but from America, from yep. the streams that they're doing for the national team games yep. and the Champions League, and they've got you know uh, Jamie Carragher on some of their broadcasts and things. Some some of their content is absolutely fantastic. Correct, but they've chosen to use an international stack or program and then create local stacks in every territory, and therefore we don't have a rewind button. We don't have a play from start button. And the replays don't upload on the final whistle. And it's all these little minor annoyances that stack up on one another well, and I think contribute to people tuning out. They're minor uh, 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 you know, uh, challenges, but they become a, a, a big cross mm. to bear because what happens? Uh, everyone's watching Netflix, which is seamless, right? Mm. And they go, why can't Paramount work? Yeah. It can, but it'll take time. Um, they'd need to realise we need to hit the pro button right now. Like our like our ads. <laughs> Back in a moment. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Talking football, George Danikian, Josh Parrish in the studios at Docklands and joining us via Zoom. Talk about, you know, no, no nothing holding us back. We're using technology properly. Um uh, the man who uh, is in Sydney waiting for us wears about 55 hats, which makes it very cumbersome when, when it's so hot and steamy. But I, I know him as the master man behind Fantabulous, who um, basically sell all those uh, kits and phones and anything you need to do with mobile equipment. Fantabulous are the people to chase. Um, uh, Jack Zervos, great to have you with us. But you're also... Thank you, George. Thank you, Josh. You're, you also, you're also the man who rang me about a month ago and said, listen, I've got something you need to be involved in. And then you proceeded to reel off, what was it, eight, nine, ten, twelve names that I thought there's no way Jack Zervos is going to gather this crop of superstars. And guess what, Josh? He did. And then he proceeded with the help of uh, uh, another guy who's loved the game forever and a day. I'm talking about Harry Michaels. And they put together... Something extraordinary, um, extraordinary because it, it brought together uh, some wonderfully creative and talented people who love the game and who've played the game at the highest level for the better part of the last 50 years. And we had a chance to pay homage to, to wonderful characters, larger than life. Paul Wade gave us some insight uh, about so many stories that we'd only half heard. Uh, the, the man that Jack loves uh, with, with enormous fondness, we call him the Godfather, but when you see him up close, and I had a chance to to spend some time with him, and we had dinner as well. I'm talking about the great Rally Rasic. Do you know he's 87 years young? My wife, almost, my, almost 87, George, almost 87. Well, 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 listen, hey, he's 87 because in the European parlance, the the day the year turns over, you are one year older. Don't you can't hide a Jack. And my Absolutely. wife said to me, she was watching, and she goes. He's 87. Unbelievable. Not only is he aware, he has a dream. And Jack, what's that dream that uh, Rally has and he's been building and he's, and he's, born, he's born a hole in, your, in, your, in the side of your, uh, your ear telling you this story because it's, it's, well, it's well worth t- uh, retelling. Yeah, it is. It is, George and Josh, and, and it really is important given the challenges of the game not just faces, but always faced. I mean, our game's always had challenges, just like any other product. I think today more so for a whole lot of reasons, not just COVID. 
Um, and Raleigh's always had this dream of an Australian football museum, um, a home for our history, but also a home to gather our present so that our present can learn about our history um, so they can share in it. Um, so people from our past can be there personally. Um, and also being the past and the present together, obviously a springboard for our future. Um, and that transcends, you know, the cliches, the old football, the new football, mm -hmm. the NSL, the A-League, because it's not about that. It's about the game itself. Um, and Rally and I often have this discussion, you know, the ball's been around for a thousand years. <laughs> the ball hasn't changed. No. You know, it's, got it's got lighter. It's got lighter. It's a lot lighter and it's, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't get as wet and as heavy. Yep. At the end of the day, it's about kicking the ball from one end to the other as quickly as possible and scoring a goal. Mm. And we've had some incredible people over the years and some incredible firsts. I mean, you talked about the program that we did, um, Harry Michaels, um, and let's also acknowledge um, to his credit, not only his passion and his vision, but also at his expense, personally. Um, you know, that's that's not cheap, three and a half hour production of that we did together. But, we, we talk about the, the, the character in the game. Um, you know, we had three Matildas on that show. Between them, had more international caps. And then we've played Australian international rugby league games. Correct. Um, you know, just some extraordinary stuff. You know, you've got a guy like Paul Wade, 118 caps. Um, that's any other team sport. It's just one person, you know, beyond, beyond comprehension. We don't celebrate that enough, but I think... It's impacting our ability to move forward. It's impacting our ability to unite and generate strength and momentum. Um, and that's why Rally's Dream is so important now more than ever. It needs to come to fruition because you've got all these wonderful contributors. Gary Cole was on the show, Tony Henderson, Laurie McKenna. Um, you know, we talk about Paul Wade. Um, they've got still so much to give and so much to offer. And if they had a home where they could do that, mm. um, Ernie Merrick, we talk about all the time, you know, yeah. how, you know, he's, he's now educating the AFL because we can't find a space <laughs> for him. Um, talk to me about uh, how impressed you were with Graham Arnold. Oh. Look, <laughs> Tell the story because some, some people will not believe it. Well, I think Graham's a good example of everything it means to be Australian. Um, and it, look, it's easy to criticise coaches, you know, everything's the coach's fault. <laughs> I mean, you know, you talk about the dispersive from a lead supporter. I've got no hope. Um, but, but, you know, just to give an indication, um, I reached out to Graham while he was um, overseas, obviously in, on his tough World Cup qualifying journey. Probably the toughest two weeks of his career, to be fair, given the games that he played and the results. Um, and I couldn't contact him, so I reached out to him via his wife, Sarah. Um, she got back to me within 24 hours. And now, Graham didn't have a clue what we were doing. All Graham got was a message that said, we'd like him to spend the afternoon with us on Friday the 4th at Chatswood. And she got back to me and said, Graham's in. And that was it. Simple as it got. And as he's flying out from Oman back to Sydney, this is, uh, you know, the day before the show at, at three in the morning, he sends me an email and he says, mate, no idea what this is about. Can you let me know? I've got myself into <laughs> essentially. And I sent him a, you know, an overview. He gets back at midnight. And we're filming, as you know, the, film, the filming started at 1.30, the pre-production meeting at 1.30. Yep. Um, Harry wanted us there at 1 o'clock. He gets back at midnight, probably the toughest two weeks of his, of his journey, and he sends me an email and he says, I'm back. Is it okay if I don't get there till 1.30? <laughs> this is a national coach. Mm -hmm. Think about every other national coach of every other national team in the world, in the world of football. Who is that generous? Who is that down to earth? Who is that accessible? To get his results on the pitch, which I personally think is still extraordinary if you look at the numbers, and we get disappointed when we lose. If you look at the campaign overall, he's, he's done pretty well with what he's got. He turned up at 129 on the dot. Correct. Now, any other country, and you and I had this discussion, George, any other country, there would have been a queue of people out there blocking the street. If we were in Rome or Paris or Athens, or Germany, you know, Frankfurt, streets would have been closed if they had the equivalent of two National World Cup coaches, four or five Socceroos, three Matildas, and about a 1,000 international caps between that room. And you haven't even mentioned Kenny Wilson. Kenny Wilson, <laughs> John Stoddart. You know, people forget that Johnny Stoddart was in, on the sideline, you know, who led New South Wales 
you know, uh, to a, a win against Dinamo Zagreb. Correct. Kenny in the team. Uh, Joe Maragliani, you know, who was on, uh, he was part of the 2006 uh, Golden Generation World Cup and as a gear steward in the Masseuse. No, it's not just the great players that make the game. This game's great because there's a lot of great people in it from the change room, you know, to the stands, um, to the to the head office. People like Kenny Labazetta was there. That's right. You know, um, man that's really the, the godfather of Marconi, the palace, as we call it. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, NSL uh, chairman for 12 years. So that's some extraordinary contributions that we need to recognise, I think, and, and, and celebrate. Speaking of recognising the history... I mean, this idea of Australian Football Museum really appeals to me because it, it seems in my, you know, comparatively brief time following the game, we seem to ground zero every few years with a rebrand and chuck the rest in the bin. And uh, quite literally sometimes with some of the trophies that have been reco- recovered from garages and skips and, and restored and so forth, we haven't done a good job of preserving Australian football history and actually... Uh, I guess, telling our own story from for how important the game actually is to this country. Uh, so where does Riley Rasich come into it? Because, I mean, I don't know if everybody knows about the kind of collection that he's maintained well, off his own back over the years that, that tell, could be so, so valuable. Jack, give us a, give us a clue because uh, Josh doesn't know the memorabilia um, um, horde that has been assembled by Riley. Well, let, 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 let me give you some context. Um, Bob Marley in a Socceroos tracksuit with a signed photo. Um, Neil Armstrong with a signed Socceroos football. We're not just talking, you know, ballet at lunch with Riley <laughs> and Dr. Socrates. Um, Three-hour interview with Maradona. Um, you know, Jim Steins, the mascot of the 74 World Cup, his hand-embroidered Socceroos jacket had every team we played on it crossed out with a red line every time we finished the game. Um, you know, we're talking some absolutely... As I said, any other country in the world, this, this stuff would be in a bank vault. <laughs> um, now, the collection itself, look, it probably fills two 40-foot containers without being um, presented. Josh, to your point, I think Raleigh's dream isn't about housing his collection. Raleigh's dream is about creating a home for everyone's collection. Yeah. On loan from George Denickian, on loan from Les Scheinflug, you know, on loan from Ray Richards, the jersey, uh, LA's jersey that he got when they exchanged jerseys when they played against each other. Um, you know, Paul Wade's jersey when he played against Maradona. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so much history in the homes of South Melbourne supporters and Sydney Olympic supporters and Socceroos supporters. Um, you know, people like Harry Williams, our first Indigenous Socceroo. Um, What a great story. Charlie Perkins. Um, You know, I know that there's a Panhellenic jersey signed by Charlie Perkins somewhere that belongs in a place like Football Museum, not in someone's home. And the owner of that jersey doesn't want it in his home. The owner's happy to say on loan too, so that everyone can learn about our Indigenous footballing history, Matilda's footballing history, you know, our original Matildas who just went to play an Asian Cup in 1975. How do we celebrate them? 75. I mean, we've been playing AFL and, and women's rugby league for five years and they think they're pioneers. Mm. Uh, something else that you need to validate, and uh, uh, we've seen it time and time again, you go to the Met in, in New York, you go to some of the great museums around the world, and that's exactly what you see. Even in the Louvre, uh, you know, this particular family has bequeathed or has offered or has partaken or has delivered this particular as, a, as a, an opportunity to say thank you. You know, it's just a wonderful thing. These great museums, these vast vaults that hold so much of our uh, living history um, only exist because generous people understand what it means. to Not to, to give up, George. but to, to, to sh- put it on show, which is even more wonderful. Expose well, let's it. Let's go a step further because this isn't about what we call a static museum. Correct. The dream is to have something dynamic. Yep. The dream is to have something that houses memorabilia but also has some futsal courts, some indoor football courts, um, somewhere where ex-players can book five or six weeks of tuition, no cost, so they can offer their skills to young footballers for free. You know, imagine if you've got a uh, if you've got a young, you know, eight, nine, ten, twelve-year-old who wants to be a striker, and he can spend a couple of days being coached by Des Martin oh. at no cost. Oh. You know, um, you know, someone that wants to learn how to tackle, and he can be coached by 
you know, um, Kalyankos, um, if they choose to. I'm just using examples. Yeah, yeah. We want this to be dynamic. We want this not just to be – the problem with football, there's lots of challenges with football, but it needs to be more accessible. And we've got so much generosity amongst that generation of players, they haven't got a home to share it. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. And uh, the the fact that we had so much ease uh, filling three hours of entertainment, it was extraordinary. Uh, Tony Henderson, Gary Cole. Gary Cole's stories alone, for goodness sake, and we've had him on air. Mm. Um, his mantra for me has always been, if you if you truly believe in the good of the game, if you are for the good of the game... I'll back you to the hilt, yeah? And that's, he's I'm, never changed. He's just I'm, got I'm better biased, and better George. and better as a human being. Yeah, I'm biased because, you know, as you know, Gary and I, I like to my friend. As far as I'm concerned, Gary Cole's good enough to be running FIFA. Uh, can't argue. Brain, can't Gary argue. Cole is. And if he was running FIFA, the game would be much stronger around the world, you know? And I say that sincerely. That's not me blowing smoke. Um, and he's just one. You know, you listen to Paul Wade and you think, how can there not be room in our game formally for someone like Paul Wade? You know, his clarity, his passion, you know, his experiences. Um, it's not just that level. We've got some amazingly, you know, outstanding achievers. But even Corey uh, McKinnon, you know, yeah. came here as a player in the NSL, um, <laughs> coached in the NSL, coached in the A-League twice, won premierships twice. You know? um, and yet he's not involved in the game. And we've got clubs struggling at the moment looking for answers. And you've got that level of experience and quality. Um, you know, so there's so many examples at every level, not just the names that we know, but the names that have contributed that sometimes we forget about. And, and that's what we need to celebrate and bring back together. Jack, uh, four or five years ago when we launched um, FNR, one of the treats, I didn't know how special it was going to be, was a program called The Pioneers that we do with uh, George Katsanas, or we did with George Katsanas. And it gave us an opportunity to talk to some of the living legends, some of the people who'd played the game, from the state leagues to the uh, NSL and, of course, to the A-League. And we got a chance to speak to Gary. And if you, if you put your finger uh, like a cursor on his career, mm. and from the days when he never headed the ball to when he occasionally headed the ball to when he was part of that strike force that didn't go to the World Cup, but quite possibly deserved to go to the World Cup. And mm. then and then after the game, after the fact that he retired and the coaching and everything else that he's done right up till now, he is someone who should be in the inner sanctum, helping to take the game to the next level. Because he's made the mistakes, he's learnt, but his career path, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. He's just a tremendous contributor and he's such a humble man. And when you stack it up, he is some, someone very special. We're always delighted to have him in the studio. And mm-hmm. um, I know, I know f- the last time we had him together, we also had a, a young guy that you may remember called uh, Young Kokinos, uh, who, who <laughs> I couldn't be. believe when we lost him a number of weeks ago now. Um, very but we had, what, six, six, eight weeks ago, we had dinner together, all of us, Gary Cole, uh, Ulysses Kokinos and so on. Kenny, Ta- Kenny Taylor. Kenny Taylor, the King, King Kenny. Um, and all of these people love the game. They absolutely adore it. So, George, let me go a bit, sorry, George, go let me go a bit further. Yep. If you look at what happened on, on that Friday, Julie Murray, what an outstanding Matilda. What a wonderful, articulate, knowledgeable you know, role model for, for young female footballers. Sure. By Allegich, you know. Um, Heather Garrett, well, you know, everyone knows about Heather's yeah, yeah, achievements. Yeah. There's so many more, and if these people were in the game today, especially in the women's game, where we uh, let, let's not sugarcoat it, we've got some challenges, mm. um, you know, and, and there's some things that probably still need to need to be addressed. The calmness and the clarity and the integrity those three ladies brought to the conversation. We had some of our greatest socceroos, and, and you were there. Their jaws dropped. Yep, touche, touche. Um, um, right, yeah. Josh. I wanted to jump in and, and talk about. I mean, there's there's the museum side of things, which I think is uh, a very worthy goal. But there's also another way that Australian football isn't acknowledging its history, and that is its historic clubs are not part of a connected pyramid. And there's a lot of talk at the moment about a national second division and whether it will happen or not. Late 2023 is the 
the marker that we've been given, it seems to shift by a year every time. It's, it's you know, this year plus one for yep. the last five yep. years. Yep. Um, but, I mean, Jack, I wanted to ask you uh, your perspective on it and whether you think it is the next step for, for Australian football to, to bring these clubs, these historic clubs, back into the fold. Look, it's Josh, thank you for the question. It's a contentious one. Um, it's a very emotive one. And one of the challenges we have in football at a leadership level is we need to separate the headlines from the emotion. Um, and we need to start looking at things critically. Football's a product, like every other product. You know, and I'm a retailer. We've got a cluttered market. We've got three or four competing national team sports. We've got a relatively small population. We don't have an overabundance of quality ground. And allegiances and loyalties are fragmented and fractured between AFL, rugby league, football, rugby union. But that hasn't changed in 100 years. We know that. Um, and a lot of the noise is taken where the big sponsorship dollars are and the big crowds, which is AFL League. I think the talk of second division resonates with a lot of the emotionally high-hard football lovers, the 60s and 70s migrants, but really the founding members of football in this, new football in this country. Um, they, they brought with them their, their memories from the playground in Croatia, in Greece, in Italy, in Malta, um, and they formed community clubs. And the community clubs were, were formed around a common ethnic thing. And it was the right time and the right place. The problem I've got with the whole concept of the second division, and I, and I know this is controversial, I've had this discussion with you, I think it's fatally flawed. As a retailer, you don't have a big enough market. You don't have enough people. If we get enough money to sponsor, a decent national second division club is going to need $3 million a year to run. Let's not argue about it. It's a or just run a club. It's got to be around $3 million. We don't have enough local players to make the A-League at the moment. Where are you going to find enough for a second division? Coaches, referees. Mm. It's not just about the, you know, the whole historical emotive argument. Mm. We need to get this right. We're not going to get another second go at this. Mm. We need to get it right. And again, I go back to the NSL, which is where I grew up, and where I learned to love the game. In fact, I go back before that in the state, you know, the state leagues, Hellenic and Newgall and Colonial. Um, and that ethnic element brought crowds, brought a lot of support. You know, people put their hands in their pocket when the bill was a bit low. Um, and we've lost that because we've become a franchise model, and that's okay. There's a franchise model there at the moment called the A-League, separate to the way the game's being run to the administrators. They've got a license agreement, I believe, says they cannot be relegated before 2030. Okay? So the concept, if that's true, and no one will confirm it, the concept of promotion and relegation is flawed to begin with. You've then got a financial model that says, I've got to pay X million to get my A-League license. How can South Melbourne or Sydney Olympic afford to pay X million to get promoted into that A-League? And why would the A-League, who owns itself, allow someone to come into that environment without paying for a license i'm confused so it doesn't stack up commercially emotionally it might mm. if we haven't got enough referees let's agree that's a problem mm. we haven't he, got is, enough he, he is a referee so he knows <laughs> and we know the struggle okay i mean I, I was working with a small mpl3 club who was trying to negotiate uh, a lease on a local you know the ground pratt and park yep the local council wanted one hundred and sixty-seven thousand dollars a year rent for electricity so you know, it's great to say let's have a national second division. How is Marconi or Sydney Olympic or RPO or South Melbourne going to afford to fly a team to Perth twice a year? Mm. The, 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 the conference model that we had, north and south conference model, much more cost effective. At the end of the day, we need to go back to the fundamentals of the way the game's been built. And we've got A-League at the moment, a first division, but I challenge anyone to argue it's fully functional, fully productive, fully profitable. So why would we dilute any energy focusing on the second division until we get that firing? People are arguing that the second division is going to fix it. I'm arguing the second division is going to make it worse. Good questions. Good questions. I, there are, yeah, I mean, I, I take every point you made on, on board, Jack. Um, one thing I would say is that we did have Chris Niku in the studio yes. a number of months ago, and uh, you know he did tell us that there was, there was no such clause in the the a-league licenses um yeah look I, I we took him in his word on that yeah yeah, yeah. That, it, that they can be relegated um uh, that, that was that was from the horse's mouth well, would they be 
I would have spent ten million for an A League license and say, you know what, I finished bottom four. Well, I'm going to go into the second division. The, the other part of it is the separation of powers, if you will, uh, between the the APL and uh, FFA. the FFA. Or FA. Yeah. Uh, what was covered at the time was that Football Australia would be able to make the call on promotion and relegation. That would be taken out of the APL sense. I totally agree. They would never do it. But um, what we were told at the time in all of the reporting, and look, I haven't seen the legal documents, but uh, was that uh, that the Football Australia retained the final say over these game-altering issues because, you know, once the the A-League clubs go separate. There was no way they're ever going to bring it in themselves. So whether it's a good idea or not, very much up for debate. But I think it it can be done based on what we've heard from from Football Australia. My, my, my dream for, for the game is a very simple one. My vision is very simple. I want to go to a suburban ground and watch a, a youth team in the girls. I want to watch a youth team in the boys. I want to watch a WNPL game. I want to watch an NPL game and an A-League game all in one afternoon. Yeah. On a day of football. I don't care about the politics. I don't care about what you call them. Mm. I grew up in the 70s and 80s in, in, the, in the height of the NSL. Third all my friends. Reserves first. Zoran Illich, yep. Andy Koska, Pedro yep. Rickroy, all these guys were playing at 15 and 16 Correct. in, in NSL teams. Look, the, the, the story you mentioned, uh, Zoran Illich, uh, he told us he was a lines, he was a, he was a ball boy. Uh, the year before he made his debut uh, at Barton Park uh, for St George. And we're talking about a kid who is suddenly in the dressing room with all his stars. Um, and he made the grade um, because the opportunities presented themselves. And that's what Josh and I have always been saying time and time again. If you give people an opportunity, wonderful things can happen. But you're a businessman. And I know that the bottom line is one we need to get right. And I and I cannot argue with you that uh, you know we can we've got so much on our plate that we can waste a few opportunities. No, we can't. This is this is that important. Mm. So whatever we do, it's got to happen. I, I take your point, Jack, about the game being more connected on the, that sort of level. Uh, the, the, the clearest example is this uh, Sunday. We in Melbourne. We've got an A League women's game, top of the table clash between Sydney City and Sydney. Um, playing in Bentley in a suburban ground. And then two hours later, there's an A-League men's game between Western United and Western Sydney Wanderers kicking off at Amy Park. So there's just no way that an enthusiastic local fan such as myself could actually make it to both games. So we've got to choose. And I understand with the COVID and the fixture congestion and everything, you've got to have all these fixtures, but couldn't the two clubs work together and just stage a double header? It's, it's crazy to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. We, you know, we talk about uniting the game, guys. This is how you unite the game. You unite the game visually, week in, week out. You walk into one turnstile, and it's like, hey, it's here. It's an afternoon of football. Jack, it's been a delight uh, getting you on to not only uh, chew the fat, but give us a sense of some of the challenges that lie ahead. Uh, listen, uh, continued good work with Fantabulous. Stir Miss Elise, and we look forward to seeing you real soon. Thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. Have a great evening. You too. You. There he is, Jack Zervos. Um, he loves the game. Um has has worked to support a bundle of, of players behind the scenes. Why? Mm. Because he understands how important that tapestry is to keep it close. And he loves the people. Yeah, it's been great. It's it's great to get, like, this is the place for these kinds of discussions, right? That's why Here we did the FNR. program. And, uh, yeah, that was really good, good fun to, to get into the mix. And uh, I really do love the idea of the Football Museum. It's something that's been floated before 100%. on If You Know Your History. Uh, Raleigh Rastage's collection talked about in sort of hushed awed tones. Exactly. What's going to happen to it? What's going to happen to it? Can we can we display it? And well, um, do we have the the resources to get, you know, not just a, a static exhibit as no, Jack no. was saying, but something that is lively and changing and curated with, you, you know, stuff you, to bring in the younger. You, you know better than anyone well. that we're processing differently today. You don't have to read the plaques. Mm. You have the technology now to stream beautiful narratives and, and great pictures and bring wonderful old memories to life in a manner that very few people can understand. I've been in, in, to, in, the, in the States to see some of their sporting museums and they're wonderful. Mm. You walk in front of and suddenly Babe Ruth is uh, hitting the ball, you know, and it's taking you back and you can see the swing. You can see the man life-size in front of you 
uh, in black and white, uh, you know, and it's just, it's alive. Have you, have you been on the Camp New tour, George? I'm sorry? The, the Camp Nude? Uh, uh, camp, camp No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Camp No, I, I no, should no, say. No, 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 sir. Camp No. no yes, no, uh, in no, Barcelona. No, <laughs> it's, it's It's pretty spectacular. I Is mean, it really? The, this, the trophies seem to go on forever. Uh, it, and it's not only football, it's handball and basketball and so on and so forth. Well, that's forth. why those presidents want to be there. And uh, there was um, a really emotional tribute to the, the coach they lost a few years ago. Yes. He uh, passed away from cancer and the full, uh, full wall of screens that all lined up together with well, footage of We can him. do that amazing. today. The technology allows us to do things to tell these stories and remember like never before. So, you know, if you think we're talking about a big shed with all these, uh, you know, your statues and, and uh, trophies, nah, uh, no, Rally has got so much more he wants to offer. And the idea of young boys and girls going and having, uh, you know, four days with Des Martin, mm. uh, he'll show you how to hit the ball with the other side of the boot, he'll swing it the other way, and he loves it. He'll, he'll do it because he absolutely adores it. So... When we have so many special people, Conbutziana is another one, continually knocking on the door of A-League clubs saying, listen, your strikers, they're missing too many penalties. They're missing too many free kicks. I can sort it. Bring them in. You know, we, we are not a, you know, the, the font of all knowledge. The, the truth is there are great people out there. Mm. Let's, let's bring them in. Yeah, we're not that filled with, with, with uh, superstars that we can just jettison them because no, no, we, we've got mm. way too much going on. We haven't. Let's bring them all together. The AFL would love to do it, right? Let's lead the way again. The game is good enough. And as Jack so rightly put it, there's a reason why the ball is round. Okay? Uh, State of our football nation. Catch you next week. Thank you, Josh. Thanks, George. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.